Welcome to The Visible Leader, the podcast that challenges conventional leadership and inspires you to create a workplace culture that empowers your team. Join me as I talk to thought leaders and change makers about practical ways to apply new learning and rethink the status quo. Get ready to become a visible leader in your organization. Welcome, Carrie Goucher. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. I discovered you on LinkedIn, and I think you're saying something quite different about the subject that we're going to cover off today. And I believe you've got 20 years experience working in organizational culture change and a PhD in systems thinking. These are all good things. And you are trying to transform how we think about meetings. And that's the subject for, for this podcast today. So welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you. Yes. Yeah, we, we have not met before. This, I just grabbed, grabbed you from LinkedIn because <laughs> I love what you're saying. And I think, I think my uh, listeners will really value taking a different approach to this subject. So the music to my ears was, I mean, after you've done lots of research into this and you've seen other organizations try to improve meetings but not get a great deal of traction with it your research shows you that we need to address the system and not just the meeting which it resonated a lot with me um so my first question to you Carrie is how did we get here to this point that people view meetings like they do well let's take a very short canter through history (laughs) um Let's go way back. In the Middle Ages, a meeting was actually a euphemism for a physical duel to reach a decision through violence, but over time, to restrain from violence and battle instead with words through meetings became a sign of power and social status, and the meeting was born. So over the centuries, meetings have gone hand in hand with the civilising of society. And it was in the industrial era where meetings really came to be the style and format that we see today. Now, in that era where we were producing lots of tangible products, physical products, sourced and sold locally, or at least compared with today's global economy, um, these products, the manufacturing of these products might have been complicated. So lots and lots of steps, but all the steps would be known in advance. And provided you did them right, the end product would be right. And that kind of work was best optimised through things like all the things we know about the industrial era, specialisation, hierarchy, control, rules, compliance, processes. And that's why we developed that format of meetings with a chair and an agenda and um, a kind of highly controlled space. But if I ask you about your job, Corrine, so the idea that there are lots and lots and lots of steps, but you understand exactly what they all are in advance, they're all written down for you, and provided you do them in the right order, you've done your job this year. I mean, does that sound like your job now? I kind of wish it was. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to have all the steps lined up for the next month and I just follow them. No, my my life is much more um, fluid than that and a little bit more spontaneous by work. And that's true for most people. So 
when I ask that question, people kind of laugh and say, as you exactly as you said, oh, if only, because our economy doesn't work like that anymore. That's we don't make money the same way. Um, our economy is now based on production of knowledge, data, pixels. It is developed through relationships. Things are sold globally. And the rate of innovation is dramatically higher. So we need to make it or do a new thing or improve something every month, every week, not mm-hmm. every decade. And this kind of product, in inverted commas, is optimised not through specialisation and hierarchy and control, but through collaboration rather than silos, um, through networks rather than hierarchies, through experimenting and and trying things and learning rather than trying to predict exactly what's going to work in advance. And in this kind of economy, we are trying to give people power. I'm trying to avoid saying the word empowerment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're trying to give people the power. It's so difficult rather than controlling everything and locking it down and putting it all in a process. But meetings haven't really truly changed since the industrial era. So there's all of that coupled with the fact that if you want to do collaborative work, you have to meet together a lot. And if you want to work in flatter organisations, which many organisations are now, inevitably we need to cross paths with other people and coordinate with other people more. And all these things have contributed to this, um, I don't know what the right word is, is it a confetti of meetings, a rash of meetings, an abundance of meetings? A clog. A clog clog of meetings. (laughs) That's right, where where, when I ask people about their diaries, not everyone, but for most people I speak to, meetings take up more than 50% of their working week. That is huge. And that's not just managers as it would have been 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's everyone in some organisations. And now we're here, there's no check and balance. So there's no one who's saying, this is my budget in the same way they might with another resource. You know, this is the inventory I've got. This is the budget we have for this year. You can't just come and take that budget without talking to me Mm. about it. You can just book time in everybody else's calendar. And there's not a lot anyone can do about it. That has to change. And there are lots Mm. of elements to how we change that, not just one thing, like cancel all meetings. Plenty of people say that to me. And working on that whole system, like how do we get back out of this and back into balance? That's what my job's all about. It's just, it's it's really interesting the thought that there's a cost because I don't think people in any way evaluate that cost of gathering those people and what that actually means, do they? They don't. Very famously, um, Shopify quite recently have put a price tag on all their meetings. And mm, that, I think I saw that. Yeah, that created a lot of um, interest <laughs> across mm. my, my world and my community. We'll, we can come back to that later. But mm. yeah, yeah, whether it's helpful to put a price tag on meetings permanently, different question. But mm-hmm. the, the research is broadly consistent. So whoever you survey, whether that was 50 years ago, 40, 30, 20, 10 today, broadly speaking, people consider 50% of the time they spend in meetings to be wasted or ineffective. And if you start to to kind of put some numbers around that, it gets terrifying really fast. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have 500 people in your company, say, and they're each spending 12 hours a week in meetings, which is quite a conservative estimate. Most people I speak Mm -hmm. to speak more, but let's stick with 12. And let's take that value that 50% of that time is ineffective. 
So in a year across your organisation, you're looking at 141,000 hours of wasted time in meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's the full, so that big number, but let's make that more meaningful. That's the full time equivalent of 82 people tied up in pointless meetings. That's in a company of 500. And if we assume that the average salary is 35K in a knowledge business, that's about £3.5 million worth of time. Now, I sort of love and hate those numbers. I find them incredible and terrifying, but equally Mm -hmm. completely meaningless because you can't get (laughs) about £3.5 million worth of time back. But it does serve to highlight the cost. But of course, it's wasted time is just one dimension. So while people are in all those meetings and while their day is fragmented or some people have described it as shattered, their time, their kind of thinking time in the day is shattered by meetings. They're not getting deep work done. Now, that's the focused, highly skilled work that they were hired to do in the first place. That's why it's difficult to hit project deadlines, to ship products on time. Um, And more than that, back-to-back meetings all day are frustrating people. They're burning people out. The frustrating interactions of meetings are driving people to quit jobs. Mm -hmm. And my friend who's a coach, very much like you, she says 80% of the frustrating scenarios that people bring to coaching with her come from meetings. So there's a whole package of cost And this great big white space where, as you say, most companies are really not doing a lot about this. And we spend so much time optimizing products and quality control, but we're not looking at these many, many, many wasted hours and all the knock-on effects of people spending time in meetings. Mm, Yeah, no, it's it's so great to be focusing fully on that today, because I think most people would agree that they feel that meetings are a bit of a necessary evil but I don't think anyone's really clear about what to do about it and that deeper level you know the systems piece not just here are some meeting hygiene factors that we can put up on the wall that actually there's some structural things that might need to change but we can get to that in a minute so when I think about quality meetings and poor quality meetings What are the insidious symptoms of a poor meeting or a poor meeting culture that that we might not be noticing that are that are under our nose, but we can't see? I think there are there are a whole range of symptoms that people are definitely noticing. For example, when I work with an organisation, I quite often do a series of discovery interviews at the very start um, of this programme to understand how people experience meetings. And when I put the link up to allow people to book in a 20, 30 minute slot, I typically find that gets booked up within 30 minutes or an hour of that email going out. I used to worry, will people, how will we get people engaged in this work? I did not need to worry. (laughs) People are already noticing I think I think most nice, bright people want to get on with other people and they want to get work done and meetings are not serving them. Some of the things that I think might be under the surface might be, for example, the, the relationship cost of frustrating inter- interactions and meetings. So a meeting is a very public theatre. It's not just you and I talking right now. I'm sure Lots of people will listen to this, but right now it's just you and I talking. There's no one listening in. In a meeting, everything you say to another person is has an audience. Um, 
And that can unpick things like um, culture. So we learn how how to behave. We learn what matters, what gets airtime, what gets cut off or cut down or dismissed. We learn about all of that through the, what we observe in meetings. And we need trust with people in our organisation. Without it, we don't need to like them. That's completely different. But we need to feel that we share a common goal and that we've got each other's best interests at heart. Without that, everything takes a very, very, very long time. And it's difficult to do difficult things. And I think meetings, that one of the symptoms of poor meetings is it chips away at those relationships and it chips away hard. And that's mm. one of the reasons, one of the kind of hidden reasons I think it's so important to look at not just at how many meetings we're having and how long they're taking and did we cover everything, but what is the quality of the um, interaction while we're there. Yeah, so it's, it's very much what people pay attention to, what they measure, what, they, what they're looking at, and it's all showing up in that meeting. And I don't think people really consider it, really, do they? They don't. So so meetings are the place where culture is demonstrated. So if you want to change culture, and this is what got me into meetings in the first place, somebody from a really, really brilliant, interesting company that you will definitely have heard of said, if you want to work on our culture, Carrie, which we were about to embark on a project, you have to look at our meetings. They are a disaster. So meetings are where culture shows up. Like, is it okay to have that idea? Um, what am I rewarded for and what am I punished for? <laughs> Even if those rewards and punishments are very mild and dealt with, mm-hmm. you know, micro punishments given out in meetings. But the other thing that is seen and experienced in meetings is your leadership. So if you're a leader, uh, a manager aspiring to develop your leadership capabilities, it's meetings where people will sip your Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. It is your one-to-ones, but if you're not consistent, if you can be, you can do a fantastic, high trust, brilliant one-to-one and have a really good one-to-one relationship with somebody. But if you give them a microaggression or give someone else a microaggression or uh, mismanage a meeting, all that is gone in a moment because it's this mm-hmm. public forum. It's, it's public shame and public, mm. a public display. And I think it's interesting when I work with teams and I uh, get them to start thinking about how they want things to be and things like psychological safety and and things like that, always meetings. Sometimes it's hard to think what a team is if it's not a meeting. (laughs) They really struggle to think about beyond the meeting and it shows how important it is. Exactly. So we learn loads about leadership. You know, there is no shortage of people talking about telling you how to be a better leader in many different ways. No shortage of um, information and and development on becoming a manager. But I think there's a big gap to to how you express that in meetings. Mm. And I think what's also just just thinking about observing a meeting and seeing a meeting looking like it's running well because it's running on time and actually that's because meetings so often get crammed agendas and um you know and everybody's shouting over each other and it can look quite unruly and people are unsatisfied potentially with that but actually a meeting that's really being chaired within an inch of its life might not be a good meeting absolutely yeah on on the money there so so i think it's mistaking rapport for relationships. It's mm. 
um, mistaking a good meeting process for a good meeting um, product or or actual performance. And exactly as you say, an agenda. What the one? If I asked a hundred people to say, "What's the one thing that would improve your meetings?" I think ninety five of them would say they should have an agenda. Now. There are agendas and agendas. So a meeting plan, having a design for the meeting, having thought through how to create the most helpful and engaging interaction. Yes. But an agenda as a list of items to be powered through is not actually that helpful or it's it's certainly masks the qualities of a great meeting under the guise of not a good process. As you say, it can be controlling. It's all about following a plan. It doesn't encourage a kind of response to what's an understanding and awareness and a response to what's actually happening in the room. And it's got all the hallmarks of a good meeting, like we are making progress down this list, but it doesn't necessarily provide any kind of helpful dialogue when what mm. actually might need to happen is the plan for the meeting might need to shift a bit. But actually meetings are about creating helpful, healthy conflict and by an agenda is often a way to avoid conflict. <laughs> Let's just work our way through it. Um, and it's people are right. We don't want relationship con- conflict. We don't want people being disrespectful for e- to each other, dismissing each other, criticizing each other, undermining each other. But we absolutely, definitely want task or work conflict. We want people disagreeing about what will and won't won't work. Uh, people giving. Um, views on risks, even if they're unpopular or inconvenient. Um, we want to get to the heart of what matters. That is what meetings are all about. Otherwise, we might as well just send an email. I love that. Yeah, that's such a great answer to a question that I didn't quite ask, but <laughs> what kind of conflict do we want in a meeting? I love that. Um, because I think people oh gosh, you know, it's so easy to pull back from conflict and think it's unhelpful. And even though you read about how conflict is good and and this is, you know, a certain level of conflict in a trusted team is what we're actually looking for. It's really good to hear it described really clearly what piece of the conflict is what we're aiming for. Exactly. And, and a lot of the work I do, so I do work big culture, meeting culture change work with organisations, but I also do micro meeting work so I work with particularly with senior leaders like how are you, how are you going to handle the situation and we talk about how can you when if if there is relationship conflict in the room what actual words can you use to start to translate that back into task conflict mm-hmm. or away from relationship concept conflict and into task conflict and learning to do that is a really powerful skill because it tells people they're safe it says I won't let that my boundary is I won't let relationship conflict happen here. I will address it and I'll address it in a really helpful way and and enable everybody really to say what they really meant to say, which is I disagree with the task, even if the way they expressed it in their frustration or their disappointment or their anxiety is they expressed it as relationship conflict. So great skill to learn. Mm, Absolutely. I'm wondering if there are any other meeting practices that people do because they think it's best practice a little bit like having that agenda being the be all and end all are there there any other things that we're sort of sleepwalking into doing that we think is really good but maybe not 
I think there were a couple of other things that, so agenda is definitely the main one because in all honesty, that is really the only thing that people are doing in meetings anyway. (laughs) (laughs) There aren't many other techniques that people are, are actually using for me to, um, to kind of dissect, (laughs) but there are a couple of other things. One is a bit of an obsession with starting and finishing on time. So again, that is back to process controlling, treating a meeting as a sort of machine, which we need to press a button on and to turn it on and turn it off again. So I completely understand that in an organisation with many different meetings, it is helpful to start on time. And it's certainly helpful to finish before people need to go to their next meeting. Absolutely agree. But I think there is an association with starting and finishing on time and also lateness as being or a, a, a kind of moral dimension applied to it. It's bad. It's disrespectful to be late, for example. It's disorganised to start late. Um, so I think there are a few structural things we can do, like really basic stuff like scheduling meetings for 50 minutes or 25 minutes to give people that buffer and just a little bit of run over a number of different variations of that that I use. But also, for example, if a meeting starts, if somebody's late, there are lots of different ways to view that, not just that that's been really bad for the meeting and it's disrespectful of the person. And believing that will impact the quality of the whole conversation while you're there and impact your relationship. So it's probably a bigger conversation to unpick that. But I just want to flag that as something that, again, is is a very industrial era, high control mindset. You you know, the bell does. It's a school thing, you know, we, mm. you, we start on time and the bell, the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it it might press up against someone's values. Yeah. I must admit, lateness is something that I judge a bit. <laughs> so I I'm like listening to that, thinking, yeah, that's interesting. I how do I react and respond to it, and do I have a little bit of a controlling bit in me that comes out that's like lock the door? If they're late, then they're going to miss out now. <laughs> so let's explore that for one one minute. So what, um, and it's not wrong to judge lateness and it's certainly not wrong to have punctuality as a value. The problem is not everyone will share that. Mm. So, so then we have to say, okay, how do we handle those value clashes? So when somebody's late, what, thought come, what thoughts come up from you? If they were up on the stand, in the dock, yeah. accused of lateness, <laughs> And you're you're the prosecute you're you're the prosecuting counsel. What are you going to say? I think the thoughts would go through my head, and that I would put up there are: you're not valuing this time. You're not valuing my time or our time in this room. If I don't do anything about it now, then people will around me. If I'm chairing the meeting, or you know whatever, whatever my role is. If I'm if I'm the one that's going to kind of have the boundaries around it, then then other people will not value it either and they'll think that it's okay. And so if I don't jump on it, then other people will 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 value this meeting less because they'll that they, these are all the thoughts that would immediately kind of come to my mind. And I suppose there is something about respect and just feeling like we can't start without you or if we do start, you're going to miss something important. And that, that means we might have to go back over it again. And that's disrespecting all the people's time that are sat here. Yeah, that's probably where my head would go. Yeah. And, and all completely normal human, you know, you, I think 
you and 99 out of 100 other people might, you know, we don't we don't like people being late for our meetings, but we are sometimes late for other people. There are plenty of people who don't like lateness, but are themselves late for other people's yeah. meetings. Um, so we won't unpick all of those, but I think what I just want to open the door a chink there, just to just get that door ajar is the, is that, and as you well know, those, there is some element of truth in those thoughts. It is it isn't ideal to have to go back over something that somebody missed because they were they were late, but that it may not be factually correct that they don't value your time or the time of the people in the meeting or that they are being disrespectful. Mm. It's a story I've told myself. It's it? a story, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing, and there's and we're all picking up those stories all the time. The thing about meeting stories is they've become ingrained into our corporate psyche so people find it really difficult to hold any possibility that somebody isn't disrespectful when they're late and that doesn't mean you can't talk to them about it and it doesn't mean you can't solve that problem but the starting point for that is is not necessarily that you want to correct it so they respect you you want to correct it to get a better or or a mm recalibrate yourselves as a group in a way that builds more trust that gets a better product out of the meeting mm. one other thing I'd, I'd flag up because it's so helpful in thinking about meetings is improv so meetings are one big <laughs> improv show <laughs> but we try and treat them like a highly scripted performance um, you know curtain down curtain up this is, you know, this is what you're supposed to say. This is what you're not supposed to say. If we just hold in mind that they are free flowing, essentially improv performances, then we can we can employ a few other techniques. So things like good improv technique or mindset. Everything's an offer. Use everything. So mm-hmm. I remember once I was leading a sort of internal webinar for five other people. It was a sort of tutorial and I could not get my internet to work. So I couldn't even tell them that I was late. They were a client. They were really senior. And I knew that they were sitting there waiting for me. Oh, the horror, the horror. <laughs> the blood <laughs> raining out of my body. <laughs> Each minute ticked past. Finally, 12 minutes late, I get in a flurry of apologies and they were completely relaxed and they said, oh, don't worry about that. We've just had the most fantastic, you know, we very rarely get the chance to, it was a call, very rarely get the chance to speak together. And we've just solved a problem that's been niggling away for months. We didn't even really know we needed to have a session about it, but we've had it now and it was fantastic. So now we're ready for you. And I realised that if you're open to it, there is possibility in lateness. Mm. <laughs> I know no one wants to hear that. And if, but if we can believe that, we can believe that in all the sort of things, unhelpful things or crazy things people do in meetings, there is possibility. Everything's an offer. Everything has the opportunity to take us closer to our goal. And I don't mean that in a kind of woo-woo way. I, I mean, let's talk about tools that help us once we've got a bit of that mindset, we've opened our minds to possibility that might help us get more out of meetings for how they really are, not how they w- we wish they were in a perfect world. Yeah. I mean, I, so it really does fit with my desire. My, some of my clients are like, I know you really don't like working like this, Corinne, because they know, they know I really 
<laughs> I'd like to just have an agenda and stick to it in all reality, but that isn't what my team coaching is like because that would be, we need a creativity in that. There'd be no new thinking. We'd all just sit there and work through Corinne's agenda. And so my clients are like laugh at me where I'm like, no, I love that we're doing this. <laughs> Inside I'm dying, but it's exactly what my my role does not fit how I actually like to work. And I love the fact that I have to step out of that so frequently. Um, and isn't that wonderful? And isn't it that there is no one way to work and it's not that the your client's way is right and your way is wrong or vice versa, but it's the overlapping and interlapping of those styles that where there's a good relationship creates that helpful friction that allows us all to question how we think about things to explore new options we we all grow learn and create in that uh, interaction between our different styles and that's what we're trying to do really effectively in meetings mm. and and it's so often the meeting is just seen as an information sharing platform i need these messages to be given over or maybe maybe there is some decision making in lot, lots of meetings but that co-creation is sometimes not present that's right and if it and if it's an information sharing session in my view that should probably be something that's done asynchronously or the information sharing done is part is done very concisely at the beginning and the rest of the session is given over to what humans do really well which is interact in in a complex space to draw out ideas clarity alignment etc And I wonder if at this point we should get practical because I think I've I've thrown open a Pandora's box of, you know, possibility and <laughs> lateness. <laughs> I want to give people some stuff to like, how do we actually Absolutely. start handling this in, if you like the sound of it, what are you actually going to say and do in your meeting later today? I love that we've moved to practical because that is always a place I want to, as you know now, I like a bit of structure and like Indeed. a bit of practical. So <laughs> go for it. Top, top tips for making a difference straight away. I think there are two things to think about, two tips for before you get into the meeting itself. So one is we need to go to fewer. Not everyone. Most people need to go to fewer meetings. So there are lots of different ways to do this. A style I prefer is consult wide, meet small. So meetings are, smaller meetings are better. They just are, we can't always have them, but that doesn't mean that we can't consult with or interact with a whole load of people about something that matters to them and something they need to contribute to without bringing them all into a meeting. How best can that be done? So usually you'd need some kind of asynchronous format for doing that like teams chat and ideally you'd have a bit of, so so I'm not anti-structure I am fully pro-structure I'm anti-control <laughs> okay so, so so having a structured way that in your organization this is how we tell people something we're thinking about doing or talk to people about something they we want them to contribute to and allow them to contribute really efficiently without dragging them into a 90 minute meeting that they might that of which only part might be relevant to them so having a way of doing that probably on teams chat or whatever um group type chat you use is going to be the way to do that there are systems that do that like lumio 
um, which are platforms deliberately designed to allow employees to or team members or whoever to um, give feedback on, contribute to thinking, vote things up, vote things down. I don't think you necessarily need that. Just simple ways of consulting with people. Um, people need to meet. Meetings need to be shorter. Uh, not all of them. Some mean some need to, meetings need to be four hours. Most meetings need to be 30 minutes or 50 minutes at a push. Um, and reducing the duration provides a creative constraint that encourages us to redesign them better. So most meetings have no design to them whatsoever. They might have an agenda, but it's just a list of items that need covering. I want people to design meetings and design interactions, and I'll give you a really simple tip for that in a moment. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first thing. Go to fewer. It's, it's in my company name, fewer, faster, bolder. <laughs> yes. The second thing before the meeting is get good at sending really good invitations. This is your social contracting phase where you get you allow people to think about things before they meet. You get people arriving, uh, clear, precise, understanding what their role is. Tell people exactly why you need them, what you're trying to achieve, what you want them to do and what a good outcome looks like. And then they will co-moderate with you. You won't have to drive it through because somebody will say, oh, hang on a minute. I don't think that's actually an area we want to talk about today because they've already read and engaged and given some feedback on your invitation. And if you go to fewer meetings, you can write a proper invitation rather than just slamming something in the diary. Mm. I love you say co-moderate. So the word chairing a meeting, you, you're not using that. I'm not using that. So I think about hosting meetings, uh, leading meetings, owning meetings, Chairing to me, feel, I, it's interesting because I have been to some, um, I've been to some for, very formal meetings here locally in my area um, as part of, you know, town council, uh, district council, which have been extremely well chaired. And it is appropriate to chair a more formal meeting. And there is certainly, a, um, there are lots of organisations and, and types of meetings where it is appropriate to have a formal meeting. But most of the meetings we go to day to day are not that formal. And what chairing does is says, I'm in control and you just need to sit there and consume this meeting. That's the opposite of what most companies are trying to do as a culture. They want to empower people. Let's let's go there. Um, <laughs> Say the word. Come on, Karen. <laughs> and I think all, own the, it. Own it. All, those, all those things we're trying to do with our culture the first place to reflect them in is your meetings. If you want to empower people, empower them in meetings first. Give them the tools and the and leave enough space for them to help co- co-moderate that, to kind of self-organise a little bit. And as much as anything, if, the, if I asked 100 people what their second thing that could be improved about meetings was, it would be just to know why I'm there. <laughs> so, Sending a good invitation, I think, if we're talking about respect, I think is a deeply valuing and respectful thing to do that says, I'm asking for an hour of your time and here's how I want to use it and here's how I'm going to help you do the best job you can while you're there. That is a uh, respectful, supportive thing to do. Lovely. Yeah. And and not done very and often. Not like done very often. No, mm. no. And I, I like to think that in my the last, um, I did, did a lot of work with one organisation, uh, not on their meetings, working with them in their organisation over about four years. And if there's one thing I think I was known for there, it was for sending a cracking meeting invitation. 
<laughs> well, this is part of it, isn't it? This is part of the culture. You're you're showing what good looks like, and then yeah. people in that meeting will know how to do it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be that broader, does it? If you start doing it in the meetings, people will see how to do it themselves. Exactly, exactly. And that's the lovely thing about meetings is changes you make where they work well, they can get a really nice ripple effect. The reason agendas don't have a good ripple effect is because they don't they don't help as much as we want them to. But absolutely, meeting culture is caught, not taught. So why don't we look at what you can do in the meeting? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So oh, I love that. Meeting culture is caught, not taught. Well, that's gonna that's beautiful. I don't think I invented that. I think I actually got it from something else that's caught not taught. I don't care, Carrie. I'm right. gonna attribute it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So um, there are a whole range of things you can do in meetings, and I've just picked out something you can do, something simple for the beginning, something simple for the middle, and something simple for the end. So beginning, people get in the room, get them contributing straight away. So as early and equally as possible. And one way to do that um, would be to use a round to open the meeting. Um, So everybody answers a question in turn, no questions, no kind of discussion, no chatting. It just flows around the room and everybody gives a concise answer to the question. The question could be something um, uh, I dare I say it, a fun icebreaker <laughs> question. Oh, I said it. <laughs> um, I hate the word icebreaker, but a, a, a kind of a light-hearted connection question. It could be a data question. Like this could be a really short, important meeting about um, uh, sales or an event you're running. So you could ask everybody to go around and share um, their figures or their numbers or something that then allows you to have a conversation about those. Um, it could be a question that allows people to tell you what they're either leaving out of the room or bringing into the room or something that just allows people to start by being a bit human. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be as task or as relationship focused as you want. But what it does is it sets the tone and it says, we are all going to contribute to this meeting. You demonstrate that not by telling people we're all going to contribute to this meeting. Everybody's opinion is welcome, but by inviting them to contribute immediately. So that's something something to think about. Then in the middle, there's tons of stuff you can do here, but this is the simplest thing for any any meeting, um, however long, short, large, small. And that's to use some kind of structure that sign and signpost the stages you want people to go through together. So rather than an agenda, which usually lists out the content, we're talking about stages. So for example, first we need to properly understand the problem and make sure everybody's completely understood what's gone wrong. Then we're going to look at some examples of other departments or companies or what they've done right. We're going to get some inspiration from somewhere else. Then we're going to do a stage where we look at what our options are. We're not going to worry about whether any of them are right or wrong yet. We're just going to get some options on the table and then we're going to evaluate them. So that that's a way of structuring a session that might previously have been just a free form discussion. And if mm. you have those four phases and say, okay, first we're going to do this, 
now we're going to move on to this part. Okay, now we've done that. Now we're going to move on to this part. Then people know how to contribute. And what you don't end up with is that cross conversation where somebody says, well, I think we should just do this and have done with it. You know, that's what we that's what we did before and it worked before. And I think we should do it. And someone else is like, yeah, but I don't that we haven't even really understood whether that's going to solve the problem. I don't think we've got the same problem now. And I'm, somebody else is saying, well, in that company, they, you know, they do it like this. And I've never liked that, but I think we should do this. And you can see how it's just a kind of circular conversation that never progresses. And in the end, it's those conversations where the loudest voices win. Mm. That's not what we want. So providing some structure helps people know exactly how to contribute their best because no one's trying to be at cross purposes, but there's no other signpost that says what they should be contributing. And it, 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 equalizes voices and you're likely to get a much better outcome that people are much uh, more bought into together. Mm, Yeah so it's lovely because it's definitely like you say structured but totally getting over some of the key problems that meetings like decisions don't get made and there's no innovation it's just yeah yeah Yeah. people feel frustration. And the easiest way to do that is just to think about what two, three, four stages do we need to go through in this session and um, give each one of them a question. And the question could be as simple as, how's it going? So if, if it's an update meeting, you want the team to come together and just kind of get their stuff on the table. First of all, the first question that the team is might be answering is, how's it going? Tell us A, B and C. Um, so and or the question could be much more direct and specific like having established the problem what are our top three options for solving it or our top three ideas suddenly everybody's working towards you're giving people a shared goal to work towards in that part of the meeting people are really good at doing that lovely so that's the middle and then simple simple technique for the end is to capture the outcomes of what's been discussed on a shared document. So something that's on screen, it's on a board, it's somewhere not just in one person's notebook uh, or on one person's piece of paper, but something everybody can see and ideally everybody could edit. And not just to capture actions, but to capture decisions. So we decided we would dot, dot, dot. That is incredibly helpful when you come back to the next meeting and you can't remember (laughs) what you decided. And it also provides a record where other people can see what was decided. And if somebody else who didn't go wants to say, oh, hang on a minute, you might want to think about that, then they can. Or great, now I know that's decided. That's unlocked me to do this bit. And the third thing to capture is a car park. So something that seemed important, but was not for that meeting. And so that has got an, it's like an outtray of the meeting that can go out and be dealt with somewhere else. After that's done, share that, make that openly available. So we have this kind of open, almost like open source meeting um, canvases. I call that a capture canvas. You can call it anything you want. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But we're used to looking at other people's little grids of their meeting and saying, great, that's helpful. I can see what happened in that meeting. Yeah, I didn't need to go. Perfect. Lovely. So we're quite far away from minutes and chairs and agendas with this with this approach. Feels much, feels like there's more energy in that room. Yes. These are all more energetic approaches, exactly as you say, than an agenda. An agenda is low energy. It doesn't tell us what to do. It doesn't tell us how to contribute, how to behave. It doesn't give us a goal. 
the meeting plan and the meeting design gives us an energetic goal to move towards. Um, and the capture canvas is a is a crisp, energetic way to capture the value of what happened mm. and sh- share back the value, mm. take the value out of the meeting, and put it back into the business where it belongs. It's lovely because there's so many, there's so much in in that. There's so much that you're doing that's different as far as people having in a meeting and using some tools from the from team coaching. You know the types of things that I would do with uh, a team in a in a team session. So many much of the things you've said are are in there. So it's like they are taking themselves into a different kind of space that they're actually learning and engaging and thinking about things differently and reflecting on things just by improving how they come together. Absolutely. And I think if there's one one takeaway from from all my work is to take what's what really good trainers do. So people who are fantastic at leading workshops and really engaging sessions to take some elements of those, strip them back a bit and make them work for you in, in yeah. meetings. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that. a great direction of travel from brilliant workshops into brilliant, regular, everyday meetings. Yeah. And that, I love that when I go back to see a client and they they are stealing key things, you know, they're, they're doing the check-ins at the start, you know, it's something they always do or they always do a reflection at the end or whatever it is. <clears throat> it's so nice to see. And, and I love that. That's your guidance to take it, strip it back and make it every day. Perfect. That's it. So they are things practically to do in the session. Now, was, was there anything that you could, you could draw on, which is more of the system um, issues? Is there anything that underlying what's causing this poor meeting culture? Have you got any tips about how people could look at that? I do a lot of interviews with people in organisations. It's often the first thing I do when I work, work with an organisation is I talk to um, talk to people about their experiences of meetings. And that is a piece of discovery work that um, I am not uniquely qualified to do. Anyone can do that, is go and talk to people about their experience of meetings and dig a bit under the surface. Um, so I'd really recommend people do that. And having said that, I think there are probably six things that are, they're going to uncover that I find abundant under the surface of sort of structural things that are keeping people in a large volume of poor quality meetings. Um, so hierarchy and power is one. Lack of strategic clarity. So things chopping and changing and we were doing this and now we're doing that and hang on there's just three words they've just launched over there and I'm not quite sure how that affects us it's two poor role clarity so you might know what your job is but do you know what your role is in this project exactly in this program in this meeting culture so people feeling unsafe to disagree that that it's not okay really it's not really okay to experiment unless it works (laughs) Basically, it's not okay to step out of the normal path. Like, I don't feel brave enough to step out of the normal path of how people do things in this organisation. And then the fifth and sixth are red tape, process, everything takes too long, goes through a committee. Um, And then finally, poor decision-making processes. So this is the thing. In a a collaborative organisation, decisions need to be made all the time. But in most organisations, it's very unclear who makes it, who's responsible for making it, how it will get made, is it going to get unmade later, how does it relate to other decisions. We have a sort of 
decision-making crisis in a lot of organisations. And they're my top six things. But the really good news is that meetings are a good place to work on all of those things. So um, when we look at something like hierarchy and power or um, red tape or decision-making, that can feel totally overwhelming. Like, how would we ever change any of that? How would I ever change that in my organisation? Now, you may not be able to change all of it and change all of it tomorrow, but you've probably got something like a 15% wiggle room. What's what's the 15% of that whole big thing that I can influence? And meetings are really responsive to changes like that. And even better news, meetings and culture are in a reciprocal relationship. So we behave as we do in meetings because of the culture, but meetings are one of the main places where we learn about culture. So once you start to make changes in meetings and give people a different set of experiences and show that they're safe when they have those experiences, you will start to create a ripple effect in the culture. And a bit like all these mindset things, as soon as people's minds are open to the possibility that something could be different, so the possibility that it's okay to do X, Y, Z, then you can get a really nice ripple effect and they'll start to hammer our doors for you. Like in this meeting, I could do this or with this manager or this leader, it's like this. Why isn't it like this over the whole organisation? And that is when people come and work with me Mm. because they're ready. They've seen it's possible and they will no longer accept the status quo until they've seen the possibility. There's not a lot I can do to help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Love those. They're very tangible, um, very pragmatic and start small. I I love that. Carrie, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think my listeners will benefit from? I mean, there's probably loads, but in the next (laughs) couple of minutes, what would be anything? I think there's something to be said for having some real self-compassion for our organizations and how they've got here so no one is to blame for meeting culture we've inherited it it's easy to feel frustrated with our organization to feel frustrated with people who are running meetings maybe frustrated with ourselves for the way we run them the reality is these meeting patterns have worn a very deep groove into our psyche at work and we have very little time. We are ma- Our diaries are maxed out. It's very hard to think about meetings and how we're going to change them. Another whole, add another job to our to-do list, which is change, change all mm. my meetings. Changing habits is hard. It's a very public change. Often there aren't very many role models or good examples to draw from. And often no one owns it. And there's not just like one fix. I don't have, you know, my one thing that will make all your meetings better. Start and finish on time. Have an agenda. That will do it. So I think let's acknowledge that it's taken a long time to get us into this place and there are a lot of things holding us there. And that's why my recommendation is always to start by making space. So while your diary is completely jammed with meetings, you have neither the actual time nor the headspace to start to think about transforming some of those interactions or even making small changes to them. So the first step either individually or as an organisation, is to make make a bit of space somehow. And actually on my um, website, I have a a mini e-course on exactly that. And I will share a code so any of your listeners can do that mini e-course for free if they would like to, because that is the first step. 
that allows you then a bit of time to think about making some really helpful bigger changes. Lovely. That's very generous of you. I think that will be really, really valuable to my listeners. We will make that available in the show notes. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm really glad I discovered you and got you onto my podcast to talk about this subject, which is really interesting. And I think you're going to make a big difference. Um, and people that start taking action could could really make a difference quite quickly, I think. It's one of those things that it could start today. Could start today. I mean, anyone got a meeting later today? Anyone? Mm. Anyone? So many <laughs> I think you have. <laughs> so many to pro- so many uh, opportunities to practice. So many opportunities. Yeah. Thank you very much. So where can my listeners find you? And, and is there a yeah, website or any products or anything that you have available at the moment? So I publish almost every day on LinkedIn something that will help you today or help you in a meeting today or to think about a meeting differently. So you can just follow me to receive something uplifting and encouraging and practical about meetings every single day. My website is fewerfasterbolder.com and there are a couple of main ways to work with me. You could, if, you, if you're thinking about this work as an organisation, um, you could join my Meeting Pioneers programme or work with me one-to-one on that. And that's where you're trying to shift all the meetings. Like, how do we kickstart a shift in meeting culture that gives people time back, that encourages really helpful, healthy conflict that you know develops relationships rather than breaks them? And uh, how can we use that meeting time to to drive our business t- business forward? If you just literally want to work on your meetings, I have a really comprehensive e-course. Um, it's about four hours, and that really is everything you need to know to be a brilliant leader and manager in meetings. So if you're a project manager or a team leader or the leader of a function, this is the place where you can figure out exactly what to say, what to do, what to write, what to prepare, how all the most common challenges that people have in meetings I address over those those four hours. And I'd love to welcome you on that. Brilliant. Carrie, it's been lovely catching up with you. Really enjoyed our conversation and it was super valuable. And I know people are going to get a lot of benefit from it. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. Thanks for listening to the Visible Leader podcast. To stay up to date with the latest episode, hit the subscribe button. And I'd love to hear what you think, so please leave me a review. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to me, Corinne Hines on LinkedIn.